Hi everyone, welcome to Sustainable Energy Asia podcast. My name is Benjamin Pan. I'm working in a bank financing and helping my client to develop projects in the renewable space uh, here in Asia. And the purpose of this podcast is to help you understand what are the key trends in the renewable energy space and how the transition in the power sector is key to achieve net zero and mitigate uh, the impact of climate change. Throughout the years, I've been interacting and working with some amazing individuals and my purpose is really to bring you some of the insights throughout uh, the interviews that I'm going to conduct with them. Today, my guest is David Ludwig, uh, who is Managing Director at Abivoct, a solar developer based here in Asia-Pacific. Uh, David, could you introduce uh, Abivogd, um, its development in Europe and in Asia? Sure. Yeah. Hi, hi Ben. Thanks for having me uh, today. Uh, happy to, to give a brief intro to Abivogd. I'll try to, to make it too long. Um, so Abivogd is actually a German company um, was set up in 2002. Originally, Abivogd was really active in the... Um, in the um, environmental engineering front and, and then went into the PV module factory engineering and EPC management um, side. Um, and only in 2010, IBVOC started with the, with the EPC and development of large scale solar plants. Back then it was in Germany. Um, and I think back then we started the development with um, around 20 people maybe. And uh, from Germany, we went into the UK as, as our first big market where we had a, a good success. I think we were the second biggest EPC uh, slash developer in, in the UK market um, between uh, 2013 and, and 2017. Um, and then from the UK, based on that success, we really expanded um, throughout Europe to countries like Netherlands, to Spain, Italy. Uh, we had some, some good success in North Africa and Egypt in 2016, 17. Um, in the Benban Soda Complex. And yeah, today I think IBVOC is one of, I, I would say one of the leading developers in Europe. We are, I think, actually market leader in one or two of the markets we're active in. And we are really trying to contribute to the energy change, uh, energy transition that is happening in Europe. As you know, that is really going into overdrive now um, uh, with, with the new government in Germany, with, with the European Union targets and so on. Um, and the story in Asia actually also started already in 2013. So we had um, set up uh, a joint venture here in Singapore, in India, in, in Philippines. And we had our first plants in India, I think, in already in 2013 and then in Philippines in 2015. But there IBVOC was essentially more uh, a technical advisor and, and owner's engineer and, and didn't take an active role in the development. Now, since 2020, um, we, the company has decided to, to really put a focus on Asia. Um, and, and we have basically designated this as our growth uh, region after Europe. And we're trying to, to adapt and replicate now what we've done in, in Europe as in entering the markets, building the local teams, and trying to be successful from greenfield until operation in, in, in the Southeast Asia and the East Asia markets. And how have you started with the company? Because you, uh, you, you came to Asia in 2020, as you said, but uh, mm. I understand like you, you started 
your your first job with Ibivog. So could you just come back to your career with uh, with the company? Sure. Yeah. Actually, I I was in the solar industry before, even as a as a technical advisor. So on the other side uh, of of many projects, um, and and did um, all kinds of studies. Uh, For PV plants, and then I joined uh, Ivy Vogue in 2013 as uh, initially as uh, actually in the engineering department as electrical project manager, and I was involved heavily in, in the projects in uh, in UK. So these were very exciting times. Um, I think we I was involved in in more than 40 or 45 projects, and I I, I, I quickly became very much involved in the grid connection which was always a very exciting topic because it really is the interface between the development side of things with the utility, with the you know, landowners, with the cable routes, all these really critical development topics. And on the other hand, really the technical teams that, that just want to build the solar generator and, and somehow you're in the middle and you have to, to manage the stakeholders. So in the end, uh, bring the plant uh, into the grid. Um, that then really brought me very closely in touch with all the business development and project development teams. And um, actually, the company sent me to Asia quite a few times to support the team in the Philippines um, in, in their development or grid connection, you know, set up because that, that was something new in the country. Uh, not many. So at least for the two utilities we, we were working with here, they, they hadn't connected solar plants before. So they sent me to, to work with them. And then how it goes that the, our partner here asked me then also to come to Indonesia and explain to, to the Indonesian, to PLN, um, you know, how does solar work? How we, can we connect it? How can we prevent, you know, it messing up your grid and so on. And that's how I really got involved deeply with the, with the business development side and, and with Asia. And that was really my, my big exposure also to Asia. And I, I felt, the, you know, this, uh, this dynamic here. That, that people feel when they come here and, and we don't have it so much in Europe anymore, I felt. So, so that was very exciting. And to come back to the basic, could you explain to us what is solar development? And I'm thinking about, you know, just understanding of the main phases and what to pay attention to. Right, yeah. So, well, I think we, very high level, I would divide the development or, or the The project maybe in, in four phases. So, so at the beginning we have the origination phase, and and that is really the, the pure business development and identifying the opportunity. Um, I, I think that is that phase is very different from country to country because the regulatory schemes and our route to market is very different. But that is always the basis. Um, I think the the most important part about this part really is keep it simple. You know, keep it fact-based. Uh, don't don't make up the big dreams, um, uh, and, and and rather try to, to do something that is actually achievable. Um, obviously, not not think too small. And I'm, I'm not saying that, but um, a lot of people make make the mistake. They make grand plans that, that are really not achievable within a realistic time frame, and and that's I think really a mistake oftentimes made in, in this initial phase. And and then the what we call the development phase, I think, is really the the, the main. Or the longest part uh, before the operation, and in in the IBVOC philosophy, it, it's very simple. We have to secure land. We we have to secure grid access. We have to secure the key permits, and we have to secure the offtake. And I think it's it sounds very simple, and I think it is in theory very simple. We know in in practice it is very hard. Um, so again, I think common issues are really. Um, Well, you can really start off wrong fundamentals. For example, they're, they're just the grid is not strong enough. 
and you can't connect your plan. So that's something you need to check early. Uh, or or you, you just can't acquire the land. You can't rezone the land uh, or, or regulatory hurdles that are, that are there. I, I think the, this comes really down to fundamentals. You've been doing development in Europe and you had also a fair mm. bit of exposure to Asia. And what are the, you know, like the main differences, uh, the main challenges that you can see in Asia compared to the European markets? Yeah, so I think one or the one overarching challenge, I think, in Asia is regulatory hurdles or, and, and roadblocks. Um, because I think the fundamentals in all of the countries here in Asia are, are absolutely fantastic for solar. There, there really is no good reason why solar, but also wind in, in many of the countries shouldn't contribute really very significant parts of, of the electricity consumption. Um, the only hurdles are regulatory of, of regulatory nature. And there, I would say the key hurdle at, at this point in time um, is really that um, grid access and market access is not granted in most of the countries. Um, so because solar has become so competitive with other sources of energy that essentially also no government support, offtake support or other such schemes are required in, in any country in Asia anymore. But what would be required is enabling um, developers, IPPs to access the, the, the network, pay weeding fees, uh, you know, fair is fair, but then sell power to, to off-takers in some shape or form or access even the spot market. And, and, and this really is, is a massive hurdle here in, in most of the countries. That's very really interesting. So on your first point about regulatory issues um, that you're facing, what are the most promising markets that you have identified so far in Asia? Right. Yeah, I think it's to be honest, it's very hard to for me to to prioritize because also I'm, I'm being asked that that question oftentimes, obviously also by by our management, by our shareholders, and then. I realized that I, I give one 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 uh, you know one ranking on one day, and then three weeks later I might give a different ranking, um, just because some you know something has changed again in in, in one country or one country has announced something. Um, because the fact is really the, the fundamentals are fantastic. I mean, if you look at Indonesia, the, the fundamentals are, are super strong. Philippines the same. Vietnam still the same. Um, even a country like Thailand. Um, there's no reason why solar shouldn't be successful. And it's really the respective government um, policymaking, I think, that, that shapes things. I mean, one example would be Malaysia, where uh, after we had won the LSS3 auction, I think there, there was, um, we were planning to participate, for example, in an uh, open access scheme for the pool market, uh, which was called NIDA, uh, which was quite new and innovative at the time. Um, but but while we were developing the project for that scheme, the, there was a government change, and subsequently the, 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 the capacity for that um, for that program was was cut down very significantly. And then we we actually didn't manage to to participate there, even though we had already organized an offtake site. Basically, we had a project ready to go, so to say. Um, and these are the things that that I think happen in a lot of countries. I mean, the other one is uh, Vietnam with the, the Power Development Plan Eight which people have been waiting on now for, for almost two years. Um, yeah, so it's very hard for me to, to say 
you know, this this country has has more potential than the other. It's really what's kind of like technology uh, you are usually using on your projects. Uh, and what what I'm thinking about is, uh, I know in project you'll be using like some trackers, mm -hmm. some bifacial panels. Uh, for the EMA tenders, there might be some storage components. So, so just wanted to understand how like this process of optimizing the technology around solar is, uh, how it is done and what is the main item you'll be looking at to structure projects. Well, one thing with solar is, in, I am quite convinced that the, the key strength of solar is the scalability and the simplicity of, of the technology. So I think when we talk about technology, we always need to stay basically at the at the front edge of the development but we need to to always also make sure that we stay within the let's say the you know the the large large scale deployed bankable proven technology um, because I, i've seen some some people some companies sometimes tend to you know go to to very specialized engineering solutions for for very particular problem uh, you know challenges or, or situations And in my experience, that, that causes a lot of issues with cost, with, with bankability, uh, even with quality, because you don't have this, this component that has been, that has, I mean, normal solar modules have been deployed millions of times, right? So the, the, it's very standardized and there's very little room for error. Um, when, we, when we optimize projects, I think what, what we really look at is, is an iterative process between um, doing a technical design, doing energy yield, running it through the financial model and honing into a, you know, to, to IRR optimum. Um, so so that, that needs um, you know, a skill sets on the engineering side, but also on the, on the, on the financial optimization side. Um, other than that, I think we all use the same components, so that's not, not that much room to differentiate um yeah there's things like fixed field and trackers but, but to be honest I, i expect that also in asia most people will use trackers in one or two years time it's just a transition time now and what are your key challenges to develop solar project in the region yeah so i, I think i i've managed, uh, mentioned that on on the project development level really is that we are essentially waiting for government Uh, you know, to open grid access for government to announce another auction for the Vietnam government to release the the PDP aid for um, for for these things. That that that's in Southeast Asia, and then in in East Asia, I think, well, it's it's a bit different. There, it is more I I would say OECD uh, or, or or Europe type of problems where we where we need to secure land and we, we need to secure grid access. And then we need to convince the local, um, you know, the local stakeholders, the, the planning authorities, and so on, to grant um, development approvals and so on. So I would say in East Asia we're really facing the the more European type of problems with very local, obviously types of you know how how these problems um, um, are, are materializing then in in the specific project because. I mean, obviously, the landholder structures in Korea is very different to, to let's say, to, to Netherlands. But but we are still facing the, the same issues around not being able to secure a certain type of land or, or you know, landowners knowing the value of the land very well and, and bidding you up with other, uh, against other developers and all of these things. So, so that is kind of like Europe. While Southeast Asia, we really have this regulatory 
a key challenge. Um, and and what is your most memorable like uh, story that you had in your career? I think personally for me, the biggest lesson maybe was the Vietnam market, because that was when we, when IBWalk was not yet active in, in Asia, but we were just, you know, um, doing kind of the mark, well, we were, yeah, market entry, let's call it that, together with our local joint venture partner, and I was reporting back to the board, and, and Vietnam was, was a big topic then, that was, uh, you know, 2018, end of 2018, um, or mid-2018 to end of 2018, and I was in Vietnam, I think, six, seven times that year. And, and the topic was, you know, um, should we really go into that market now without a bigger strategy for, for, the, for the region because it was a, you know, the, the talk in town, so to say. And, 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 but, but then everyone, the banks, the international banks, international investors, and, and most of the international developers basically said, okay, you know, this PPA is not bankable. Um, this will never happen. Maybe, maybe they will install, you know, 50 megawatt or 150. Some locals will maybe finance it on equity, but never will they achieve their target of 850 megawatt. I think it was at the time from MIT. And, and I've heard that so many times and on all the conferences, you know, in Singapore and so on, it was always bankability of the, of the Vietnam PPA was the topic. And well, unfortunately, we didn't go in, into Vietnam at that point. And, and then what happened uh, one year later, we all know, they, you know, they, they've built more than four gigawatt in 18 months. Uh, none of the, or almost none of the very smart, international, sophisticated investors were, were participating in that with, with some um, exceptions, uh, of course. But um, th that was a very big learning for me. Uh, you know, in terms of, of on the one hand, um, everything is possible here in Asia. If, if the stars align, things will happen. And on, on the other side, also the power of this technology, because no one would have thought that, that uh, a country that had so far, I think, less than 50 megawatt installed can ramp up to, to more than 4 gigawatt in 12, 18 months. Oh, that's a great story. That's a great story. What is your ambition for, for Abivog in Asia? You know, like in the next five years, what, what kind of milestone you want to achieve? Yeah, well, Abivog, I think on the global level is undergoing or, or continuing. We've been transitioning and, 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 and growing for the last eight years since I joined the company. And, and we are now on the, on, in the phase where we are transitioning also into more of an IPP. Um, um, at least midterm IPP, let's call it, um, uh, from, from our, let's say, let's call it the evolution of, of the company, uh, from essentially from the beginning, EPCM development, uh, financing, and, and now we're going into, into the IPP model. Could you come back to the transition from being a developer to being an independent power producer or IPP? What are the underlying logics behind that? Because this is really interesting. Yeah, so when we, um, so what is the, so as a developer, I think a development company has, has one thing, which is, which is a certain mindset. I think a development company is, is really a, 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 a venture capital investment machine if, if it's done really well because we identify investment opportunities and then we try to get the maximum you know impact in terms of megawatts in terms of project uh, with a with a reasonable risk taking involved right we, we try to to stage our risk 
And, and then as, as I Vogue, we were integrated or we are the integrated developer where, where we do this investment development phase, then we do a financing phase and then we do a construction phase. But then we commonly until um, one or two years ago, we exclusively sold projects normally at COD or even already partially on, on NTP just because the PV is so capital intensive that the, that, that the company couldn't, um, or it wasn't efficient in terms of capital allocation uh, to really hold projects long-term. Because we all know the long-term returns on, on solar, uh, especially in Europe, they are, they are single digit, um, you know, maybe even 5% or even less. And, and the type of, of risk capital used for, for development is, is, is much higher than that. So it's very inefficient capital allocation for, for a company to, to really hold assets, at least from the mindset of, of IBVOC so far. Um, now we have managed to, to grow our, our balance sheet by, by, by operation over the last years and are now at the point that we are slowly transitioning into a midterm asset hold um, strategy, also with our new investor now, um, DAF from, from Holland. They, we want to focus on, on building a you know, more substantial um, asset operation base. And yeah, what is important for that, I think it's, it's one uh, from a developer, there's a, a certain change in mindset or addition of, of new capabilities, um, um, new thinking around the, the asset management and investment strategy. And then it's just also the ability to, to fund these projects in a, in a sustainable way for, for the mid and long term. Um, yeah, so and, and I think that is, that is on the global level and also here in Asia, I think that fits very well because here in Asia, we, we see that it's really um, very beneficial to hold assets actually after, after COD. I, I think it is less beneficial to, to, to build and, and sell projects at COD as quickly as, as maybe many companies do in Europe. Um, so, so, yeah, long story short, I think the, the vision for IB Vogt in five years is really to, to become one of the, of the leading IPPs here in the region, um, at, at least uh, integrated developer, and then in some countries build, build portfolios of operating assets. And, and yeah, grow the team. I, I think the potential here is, is absolutely fantastic. Um, it's just about now, you know, we are, we're very close to... Um, you know, to the to the big bang here in in Singapore in, in Singapore in, in the region, and and I, yeah, we want to to be part of that. Oh, that's that's awesome! Thank you so much for for your time, David. Thank you, Ben.